Welcome to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how to lead more efficiently and effectively in a post-pandemic world where the workplace has changed dramatically. Now, here's Monique. Hi there. Welcome. I am Monique. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hear a lot in the workplace about communication and how some people have better communication skills than others and some don't really understand how to handle conflict very well or how to have even conversations related to racism and really how to interact in the workplace. So in this episode today, we will be talking about communication, specifically a method of communication called nonviolent communication. You will hear us refer to it as NVC. Now, I first learned about NVC years ago. I read a book by a man named Marshall Rosenberg. And after that, I was so intrigued by it that I took a 12-month course called the Compassion Course through a place called the Center for Nonviolent Communication. Now that was an online course and I was so fascinated by the course that I took it a second time because as you'll find out with NVC, you can never get too much practice. Now I introduce the techniques in coaching and I am by no means an expert at this. I am not certified in NVC. However, my guest today is Today you'll hear about the components of NVC, some of the tools that we use with NVC, including the needs sheet and the feelings sheet, how NVC can be used in these really sensitive conversations like racism or dealing with conflict or really any other interaction where you wanna connect with someone. My guest today is Dr. Roxy Manning. Dr. Manning is a clinical psychologist and certified NVC trainer. She provides consulting and training to businesses, nonprofits, and government organizations wanting to create more equitable and diverse workplace cultures. She's the author of How to Have Anti-Racist Conversations, Embracing Our Full Humanity to Challenge White Supremacy. Roxy, welcome to the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Monique. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be here. I know that you are traveling, you're speaking, you're training domestically and internationally. So I really appreciate you making time for this. Tell us a little bit about your background and your book. Oh, sure. So. My background, it's always a little bit challenging to know where to start. Um, It's really helpful to know that I'm actually an immigrant to the United States. I came to the U.S. when I was seven and got really interested at a pretty young age in just understanding people, understanding difference because of um, this difference that I had not being born in the U.S. And I got my clinical psychology degree. And then, like you, I discovered nonviolent communication. And it was a really perfect complement to a lot of the things that I had learned in my field. Because in psychology, one of the things that they tell us is empathy is key. We learn all of these techniques, but empathy is the heart of it. And what they didn't tell us was, how do you empathize? How do you do it? And that's one of the really great things that nonviolent communication teaches us. And that's what I love about it. 
in your book, how did that come about? Was this because of some of your research or your work within corporations? Exactly. I had been doing a lot of teaching, gosh, it must have been a couple of decades, where I had been sharing how to use nonviolent communication to address issues of racism. A lot of organizations were really interested in transforming their workplace culture. And so they were bringing me in, not just to like look at the DEIB stuff, but also just how do we have feedback sessions that are healthy and productive? How do we um, make it possible so that people feel psychologically safe and want to show up, want to take the risk that we need in order to let our corporations thrive? And so I had been doing all of this work and every time I taught, every time I facilitated, people would say, it's really great when you do it, but I don't know how to do it. I'm not there yet. <laughs> and that's part of why I wrote the books, to help people have a manual so that they could start engaging with this themselves. They could start trying it out, go at their own pace. Why do you think conversations about racism are vital in the workplace? Well, there's already research that shows that the more diverse a workplace is, the more creative it is, the more um, viewpoints we have to draw on so that we can actually have more innovation and more kind of problem solving and flexibility. But a lot of workplaces have discovered that just hiring people because they kind of check that diversity box doesn't mean that you attain them. It doesn't mean that folks are going to be happy, they're going to thrive, they're going to feel valued. And so being able to figure out what's going wrong, we've got these great people coming in and they're all leaving a year later. What do we need to do so that we can actually make sure that our workplace is inclusive and allows everyone to thrive? And that's why I think having these conversations helps us to understand that. Yeah, there is so much research about lack of engagement in companies and the amount of people leaving and how much it costs companies whenever yeah. even one person leaves. How does NBC help with these conversations about racism? Well, one of the challenges that I think is probably endemic worldwide, but definitely true in our country, is that racism is a really divisive topic. And, you know, part of me is like, it shouldn't be, it should be so super easy and clear. But it's become this very polarized kind of conversation. And so there are people who want to show up and be supportive of their colleagues who may be experiencing harm, and they're afraid. They're like, if I show up, if I say something, or let's say that you've actually did something and it's a microaggression, people are thinking, if I just admit that I did a microaggression, am I going to get fired? Am I going to get in trouble? Am I going to make it worse? So there's so much fear around what's the impact of having these conversations? Am I going to cause more harm? Am I going to be judged? Will I be seen? And people feel a little bit helpless. So nonviolent communication helps us. It provides a structure for having these conversations that is about getting to the content getting to the heart of what happened without going to all of the blame and judgment that leads people to shut down and be afraid. And you know, you mentioned that we can have fear about what to say to someone or fear that we've said something wrong. And I think even that fear can cause us to disconnect from other people in the yeah. workplace because we might be afraid to communicate just being afraid of what what might come out of our mouths by accident and it can cause us to sort of sever those workplace relationships maybe subconsciously and not uh, connect with people in the way that we should so that's a, a really really good point can you give an example maybe something from your book 
of a workplace situation that the content of your book can help? Sure. And this is an example that I go into detail in the book. Um, I was working with an organization and one of the one of the men from the global majority, people in the United States who we call BIPOC, I use a different term, um, was really upset about something that had happened with his supervisor. So he had been, he was kind of the treasurer doing a lot of accounting and financing for the organization. And there was a meeting that he and his supervisor went to. But at the same time, there was another team that needed information that he had, and he was the only person who had this information. So he pulled out his laptop, it was really time sensitive, and was trying to like send them that information. His supervisor kind of looks over and says, put that away, right? Doesn't ask what he's doing, doesn't check in. And he knows like it's really important that the team gets this information, so he continues. And then she gets mad at him. What are you doing on your phone, you know? You're like, that's really irresponsible, you're being unprofessional. And so that was an example of a microaggression. She was basically making some judgments. If he had been anyone else, she would have said, oh, he must be attending to something urgent because this is a professional person who really cares about the well-being of our company. But instead, she kind of jumped to, he's slacking off, he's not being professional, he's not doing the right thing. And it was really painful for this employee to be seen in this way because he was such a dedicated employee. And he never told his supervisor. He never told her this. And so I was one of the first people that he told this to. And then part of the work was to have this conversation with the supervisor so that she could become aware of this kind of unconscious bias and how it impacts her staff. And the NVC model can help with this, with those types of conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Can you tell us about the NVC model? I remember when I took the compassion course, that was developed by Tom Bond. Mm -hmm. It related to using the two main tools, the needs feet, needs sheet and the, the what was the other feelings. one? The needs and the feelings, feelings sheet. Mm -hmm. So can you start at that lowest level and help us understand how those tools work with NBC and what the model is? Yes. So when we think of nonviolent communication, I always tell people that it has two parts and it's really important to understand that there are these two separate parts. The first part is the part that you're talking about, the communication tool. That's a very clear and specific model on how we can have dialogue. It's very structured and we often think about it like the training wheels on your bike. A lot of people say, no one talks like that, right? No one says, are you feeling because you're needing? But I always tell people, if you've been having some really painful conversations, conversations that haven't turned out the way that you want, put on those training wheels. Make sure that you're getting um, the core elements in place and that will support you. And then you can kind of freewheel afterwards. But the, the core elements are, you mentioned the feelings and needs. So understanding how am I impacted? What's moving inside of me? What are my emotions when something happens? And most importantly, using that as information, because one of the core beliefs in the nonviolent communication model is that our feelings are pointers. They tell us when something important, something that we value is either met, it's working for us, or it's not working for us. And so if I'm feeling like in this example that I just shared, that employee was feeling hurt and angry. And so he could then take those feelings and say, so if I'm feeling angry, what was important for me that I wasn't experiencing? And he might think, well, maybe one of the things that was important to me was to be trusted for my professionalism, right? Or to be respected. And when we think about those qualities, we call them needs or values. 
there's something really important to recognize about them. If I'm getting to the true need and value, it's going to be something that everybody in the world also values. So if I say, hey, Monique, do you also value respect? You'll say, yeah, absolutely. That's important to me too. It might not look the same way, but you value the concept. So it really starts with your own self-awareness of what you're feeling and what you need. And then it extends out to the other person, doesn't it? Like, are you trying mm -hmm. to determine then what the other person is feeling and needing? Absolutely. And there, there are some nuances to this. But I, I'd say at the very base, I do want to know what the other person is feeling and needing. In the workplace, we're trying to collaborate. And we collaborate more effectively when we don't get hung up on the things that we're trying to do and go to what's the reason we're trying to do it, what's important here. And once we're aware of that, once I know what's important to you and you know what's important to me, we can look for a solution, a strategy that's going to work for both of us. Usually we get hung up on the strategy without going to the needs and then we kind of hunker down. I want what I want without thinking, is there another way to get what I want that will also work for you? Right, because I suppose the strategy would be like, how am I going to resolve this problem? That's the, the strategy that a lot of people jump to. We have a problem here. Let's figure out how to solve it in anything like negotiating or dealing with conflict. So you're saying to take a step back from that and really look at your own needs and feelings, try to understand the other person's needs and feelings, and then go maybe to the problem solving part. after Exactly. Okay. And the problem solving is a lot richer and more effective if I include everyone's needs right from the beginning. In your book, you mentioned something about the authentic dialogue framework. Mm -hmm. How does that tie in with NBC? So the authentic dialogue framework basically takes the bones of NBC and expands it a little bit. Because a lot of people don't actually know how to bring in the second part that I talked about that's really important to nonviolent communication, which is... What is the way that we're approaching this? Part of the intention of nonviolent communication is to build communities, build places where everybody's thriving. And you can use the tools, the feelings and needs part of NVC in a way that's actually divisive, that break, breaks people apart. And so my framework invites us to slow down, to really understand both what is it that's important to me, what's my ultimate goal here, to have a community, an organization where everyone thrives, and then to think about what kind of dialogue do I want to invite you into that will help that happen. This is really fascinating and very rich work that you're doing. We're going to pause here for a quick break. We've been talking to Dr. Roxy Manning about how to use NBC to have really sensitive conversations in the workplace. When we come back, we're going to hear more about how to use NBC and we also have had some listeners write in some questions. So Dr. Manning is going to answer some of those questions after the break. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you ready to unlock your full potential as a leader? Look no further than MD Consulting. Monique Daniel, executive coach, best-selling author, and captivating public speaker, is here to guide you towards transformational success. With a global reach, Monique empowers executive leaders and HR professionals through engaging presentations at conferences, team-building activities, and industry gatherings. 
Monique's mission is clear, to revolutionize workplace behavior. She achieves this not only by coaching a diverse clientele, but also by educating corporate leaders through both virtual and in-person events. Well, thank you so much for being here to help us understand. As a recognized subject matter expert, Monique delves into crucial topics such as psychological safety, onboarding strategies, effective training methods, and mastering time management skills. Now for a great topic that we're going to delve into. Ready to learn more? Request Monique's Speaker One Sheet or secure her for an engaging speaking engagement by sending an email to monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your leadership journey with Monique Daniel and MD Consulting. Unleash your potential today. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com or email monique at mdconsultingglobal.com to take the next step towards transformative leadership. MD Consulting, where success begins. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Roxy Manning, a clinical psychologist and certified NVC trainer. We've been talking about NVC or nonviolent communication. Roxy, so it sounds like NVC can be used in so many ways at work and that you first use it to connect with yourself and understand yourself more, and then you apply that to others. We have had two listeners write in. They've been listening to the method that you've been explaining. They've got some questions. And if you're up for answering them, I would love to delve into that right now. I'd love it. Okay. All right. So the first listener is Sarah. And she says, my boss and I don't get along. I'm constantly walking on eggshells. He's always finding fault with my work but I really like my job, so I don't want to leave, and I would like to resolve this issue. How can I use NVC in the way that you explained to help me with this case? Oh, Sarah, that's a really tough situation. <laughs> so there are a couple of things that I think is important to look at first, and this is actually what you were asking about earlier, Monique, when you said, tell us about this authentic dialogue framework. And so part of the authentic dialogue framework says that there are different kinds of conversations that we could have. And Sarah is probably choosing between, does she want to have a conversation with her boss where he hears the impact of what's been happening? Or is she wanting a conversation so that she can share what's going on for her and he can also share what's going on for him? So kind of a mutual exchange of information. And 
from either of those conversations, we can then move to a conversation around what's the solution for this. But before we go there, there are a couple of things that Sarah needs to decide. I heard very clearly, I like my job, I don't want to leave. And if this boss is already doing this kind of sniping fault finding, there's a chance that if Sarah speaks up, that might be kind of the straw that makes the boss find a reason to get rid of her. But Sarah needs to decide for herself, how much do I want to risk? How much do I want to say, if I stay with exactly the way things are now, it's not tenable. So do I want to risk that it might get worse if I speak up on the hopes that I could actually help make it better? If she decides to take that risk, I would start by first, get some support yourself. We already established that nonviolent communication is around understanding what's important to you. So Sarah needs to be able to identify what's been happening, what's the observation? What are some of the examples that she can share with her boss? Here's this thing that I said, and here's how you responded that was hard for me. Or when I turned in this report, here was the feedback you gave that was more judgmental than supportive. You know, be really clear on what the boss is doing that's hard for her. Then she can, with that clarity, she can go to her boss and say, person boss, right? Who knows what gender the boss is? So boss person. Last week, we had an interaction that has been happening over and over and over again. And I'm worried that it's impacting how we're relating to each other and how effective we are at work. I always tell people that if I'm going to bring something to my boss or to anybody at work, I want to tie it in, not just this is only about what's my needs, but also what's important to them. The boss wants effectiveness and efficiency at work, so tie this into that. What's happening between us is affecting our efficiency. It's affecting how we're relating to each other. I want to pause before I keep going because I know I'm kind of giving a lot of information. Yes, so any questions. I love that you brought up that she has to assess the risk that's involved, which I think is such a, a good point because I, and it, I think it helps people to know that because some people might be overly enthusiastic to jump into a conversation with their boss without thinking about the consequences. So this helps people stop, pause, think it through, be very deliberate when they do approach the boss. Absolutely. And it's important to recognize those consequences are real. And one of the things I tell people is there is no shame if you decide this is not the right time. If you say it's more mm -hmm. important that I keep this job and put food on my family's table than to be the person who's making everything change right now. Right, right. So once she decides to approach her boss, it, then it sounds like she also has to have some empathy about what's happening on his end or the boss's end. Not necessarily. Okay. What I actually invite people to is curiosity. So she has to have understanding about what's happening for her and not from a place of judgment. It's not helpful if she goes to her boss and says, hey, you're bad, you're too critical, you're horrible. That's not going to change anything. But if she can be very specific about what's happening and say, you know, when you say this, I find it really hard to know where to go. So I'm not actually able to change and show up in the way that you would like. Now that's information that the boss can take in and understand why he might need to, or he or she might need to change. So being really clear about what's going on for her is really important. And being curious, like, Many people, one of the sayings that a dear friend of mine, a colleague of mine says, is empathy doesn't flow uphill. 
So we often look at people in power, we look at the management, and we judge them. We don't empathize with them. So if she could be even a little bit curious about why is he doing this? If it's only happening to me, why is this happening just to me? That provides an opening for there to be a true exchange of dialogue around, Am I, is there something I'm doing? Is there some way that I'm showing up that's stimulating this? Because I would actually want to know this. And if not, what can we do so that this doesn't keep happening? So the curiosity is very key in these NBC conversations. Absolutely. I might not ever be able to guess what's going on for you, but if I'm curious, if I'm open, if I invite your perspective, then we can have a true conversation. And how important is it for Sarah to share her feelings? She mentioned she feels like she's walking on eggshells and all of that. Is that something that should be communicated to the boss? This is a tough one. If it were not a workplace setting, I would say absolutely share your feelings. But a lot of people, when I go into organizations, a lot of people say like, we don't talk about feelings in my organization. And especially Sarah, it's a name that's coding as female for me. A lot of women in the workplace are afraid that if they talk about feelings, that they get dismissed, that they don't get seen. And so that's something that Sarah's gonna have to feel into. What's her workplace culture? If she shares her feeling, does that mean that she's automatically dismissed as, oh, it's just another woman being too sensitive? In which case she might choose to just stay with the needs. If she can actually share the feeling, when we can share the feeling, when we can be vulnerable, then the other person sees us, they get the impact. And then there's more more for motivation to change. So if she can do it, go for it. But if it's going to end up challenging or diminishing the message that she's trying to make, then I would not do it. Okay, so uh, that's another thing that she needs to be very aware of before going into the conversation. Not only how risky is it to have the conversation, but if she has the conversation, how risky is it to share her feelings? So she has to assess the culture, the maybe the boss that she's dealing with and all of that. Absolutely. And it's one of the things I love about NBC, because even though we've got this very strict model, right? The observations, feelings, needs, and requests, it's flexible. It's really about what's actually gonna serve your needs the best in the context, in the environment in which you're moving. And can you say more about that last piece, the request part? Mm -hmm. I remember from the compassion course when I was in it that that's kind of the final part of a conversation is making a request. Can you say a little more about that or maybe what Sarah could do in this case? Absolutely. So the request is basically, and, and actually there are two kinds of requests that I'd like to tell um, folks that I'm working with about. The first kind of request is the one that's often dropped. So let's say that Sarah goes to her boss and says, boss person, when you criticize everything I do without checking in with me about why I made the choices I made, I feel helpless and hopeless and, you know, frustrated. And I really want a sense of collaboration. If that's the only thing that she says, boss person's going to be, well, what do you want me to do about that? But if Sarah can go in with a clear strategy, what do you want to see happen? What's the important thing that you would like to see that person do and ask for it? Use the power of our request, then it's much more likely that boss can say, oh, and Sarah might, a request Sarah might make is, I'm wondering if before you offer criticism, you actually ask me to give feedback about why I made the choices that I made so that you can hold my perspective um, and see whether or not it matches yours. That's a request that the boss can say, oh, yeah, I can see how that could work. I can see how that serves needs. Or boss person might say, actually, no, I don't have time for that. You know, 
if you want me to hear that, maybe send me an email before we have our meetings so I can look at it. So, but there's something that the boss person could now check against to see was this working for them. And it helps move things along faster. It helps to build efficiency into the process rather than just saying, here's my feeling and need. And now boss person has to spend this time trying to figure out and what do you want me to do about this? And I think that request part is so often forgotten in any conversation. I think people really struggle with making requests. Mm -hmm. There's some fear around that too. So I'm really glad that it's included in the NVC model and in all of the training because I know that it's a hard thing for people to do, even if they can get through all the first parts of the NVC model, that request part is really difficult. Well, thank you for answering that for Sarah. Did you have another point? I, I did. I want to add one more type of request that I think would be really important for Sarah or anyone else to make. So the kind of request that I just talked about, what can you do, is what I call a solution request. It's about getting something done. But sometimes I want to make a connection request. So I've just shared something that might be hard for the boss to hear. You know, I feel like you've been criticizing me a lot and it's been hard for me. And Sarah has a choice then. She can check in with the boss. What did you hear me say? How did you take my message? Just to make sure that message sent was message received. She can check in with the boss. Was that hard for you to hear? Is there anything you'd like me to hear? So it's a little bit of opening the door for empathy for the boss about what the experience is for him or her hearing this. So there are a lot of different ways that going for connection first before we go to solution and making a request that's around connection can also support the process. Thank you for that. And our second listener wrote in, this is from Frank. Mm -hmm. I need to give feedback to an underperforming direct report. I always tend to soften the blow too much and be too passive when I'm giving feedback. So I never get my point across in an assertive way. So my direct reports never really improve because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. How can I use NBC to give feedback that is assertive and direct, but does not demotivate this person? Love that question. So this is where the NBC model really shines because what I'm guessing Frank is doing is not saying very clearly what the person is doing that is not working and not talking very clearly about the impact and not making a clear request about what they would like to see differently. So I would start off by being really meticulous about naming the observation. What is your direct report doing that is not working for you? Are they coming in late? Are they um, turning in work that's maybe not as complete as you would like? Are they leaving too much for the client to do rather than taking on some of the burden? But whatever it is, be really clear about it and have a clear example so that the person can say, oh, now I get it. Now I recognize what you're talking about. So that's the first step. The next step, and again, you could bring in the feelings or not, Frank gets to choose, but you can definitely say, here's the impact of what you're doing. Here's how it's impacting either the client, it's impacting the, the company, it's impacting me, but be really clear on the needs. Needs are another way to look at impact. So when a client comes to you for support and you only spend five minutes with them, I'm worried that they're feeling um, the needs that they have is like they're not getting the support that they want, they're not having a sense of being a valued um, part of this organization. So I really want our clients to leave here feeling excited, feeling trust that their needs matter and five minutes isn't giving them that. So now the direct report has a really clear link between what they're doing and the impact that it's having 
in the organization. When I teach feedback, before I go to request, I always check. This is when Frank would stop and say, what did you hear me say? What did you get was important? Because this is a place where if the direct report, or if Frank has been kind of soft-shoeing it, so they're not kind of getting the message across, the person will say, oh, you think I'm just being too nice to clients? And Frank gets to correct that. Actually, no. Let me tell you what I really want you to hear. So it's this iterative process. Give your feedback, the first part, check in. If it's not right, tweak it again and keep going until you're hearing back from the person that they got the message you want to get. And then you can go to the request and the solution. And the request is something that Frank would make of his direct report related to the, the, per, the performance piece that is missing, that how he wants to see that improve. Yes, and one of the requests that I love encouraging people to make is to actually ask the person, direct report, what can you do to address this problem? Because when people come up with solutions, they're often taking more ownership of it. They're more ready to trying it out. And then you could, Frank can then say, okay, I like where you're going with this, and it's not meeting this piece, so let's let's tweak it a little bit. But have the person be the person, the one to generate um, what the solution might be. Really powerful strategy. That is really important because I think many times leaders feel like it's up to them to, to solve the problem and then to tell the direct report how it's going to be solved. Mm -hmm. And then the direct report feels like they're just being told, like they have no ownership and that there's no uh, conversation about it. And so I, I like this part of the strategy as to, you know, pretty much asking the direct report to own it and make suggestions on how they could fix the problem. Right, and one of the other pieces that's really helpful about this approach is that sometimes the direct report has information that the managers don't have. And if they're the ones who are coming up with the strategy, they're able to integrate a lot of information that might not be available to everyone. So it's gonna be a more robust, robust solution. And Frank still needs to be sure that you leave with a solution, you leave with a strategy in mind. Right. Yeah, that's the other missing piece, especially if it's a manager that tends to be a bit passive. They might not really enforce that solution piece of it. So very, very good advice here on how to help Frank with this. So thank you. And on that note, we will take a quick break. We've been talking to Dr. Roxy Manning about how to use NBC in the workplace. When we come back, we'll hear more about Dr. Manning's book and some things that leaders can do right now to implement NBC into any type of interaction. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. At MD Consulting, Executive Coach Monique Dagneau provides executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. How do you cultivate braver, more daring leaders? And how do you embed the value of courage in your culture? How do you take charge of your life and achieve your goals and bring about positive changes that propel you forward? On The Leader's Edge, join your hosts, Steve and Ernie, as they bring a mix of insights in personal and leadership growth that shapes your culture and the culture around you. Lean in and learn intentionally how to accelerate into your next best life. Tune into The Leader's Edge with Ernalita DeCumos and Steve Steele, Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us as we explore this topic of NVC with Dr. Roxy Manning. Roxy, there are a lot of books out there about racism. What makes yours so different? Well, one of the things I do is I think of my book as first a primer. So if you don't know a lot about the different elements that are necessary to tackle this problem, it will help you weave together a whole bunch of elements. One important piece of my book is what NVC brings, what nonviolent communication brings. So a lot of times when people are talking about racism, they're trying to address it, it becomes very combative. You know, it's like, you're bad, you're evil, you're wrong. And like I mentioned earlier, people shut down. And my book invites people to fiercely, directly, assertively address racism, but in ways that are building community rather than tearing communities apart. And it provides both the background uh, framework to think about it and approach it in this way, along with just like a very kind of quick dive into the background and history of why we got to where we are, and then some of the neuroscience, like unconscious bias and how that impacts how we show up and why we make the mistakes that we do. I would say that my books are about addressing racism without shaming, without blaming, without making people evil, but still being able to fearlessly confront it. And people are telling me that it's freeing. It gives them so much more hope that they can have these conversations in ways that are productive. Now, your book addresses white supremacy, and some people find that term upsetting or they don't even really know what it is. How would you describe that term? How do you use it? Great. So this is one of the ways that I talk about my book being a little bit different because I'm willing to use terms like that, even though I know they're going to be upsetting for people. When I think about white supremacy, what I'm inviting the person to do is to think about that I'm not saying you're a KKK person, you're a racist um, person who's doing these things, but that there has been a culture that in some ways the United States and a lot of Western civilization, recent Western civilization, was founded on the idea that one group of people 
are at the top and everyone else needs to work to benefit those people. So we can enslave people in order to benefit other people. We could murder indigenous populations in order to benefit and give access to the resources that they were stewarding. And so that's what I mean by white supremacy, that it's a system that says one group is benefiting over another. And it has been done around race, but in some ways, the concept can also apply to patriarchy. It can apply to a lot of the things, a lot of the oppressive systems. And that's what I think I want people to take away when they hear the term white supremacy, that they're just thinking about systems of oppression that benefit one group at the expense of another. If we are truly trying to make changes in the workplace, whether it's related to racism or any other kinds of changes, and we're trying to use the NBC model, which is compassion and empathy, some would say that compassion is too passive if you're really trying to make big changes. What are your thoughts about that? I think compassion is the only way that you could make big changes. And I am sure that many of your listeners have had the experience where somebody comes at you hard and they're angry and aggressive. And what we do, even when we know that they're right, is we hunker down. It's like the minute you start judging me and blaming, I start to go into my defensive reactive mode and nothing actually changes. I'm not letting the information you're trying to give me sink in because I'm trying to protect myself. But if we lead with compassion, if we lead with the idea that you are a human being just like me and we have the same needs and the thing that you're doing, and this is the heart of the NBC model, right? The behavior you're doing that's not working for me is a strategy to meet needs and the behavior is horrible, but the needs are beautiful. So I'm going to hold some compassion and care for those needs and still assert that you need to get rid of that strategy. You need a strategy that's going to work better for both of us. If I don't feel judged, if I don't feel shamed, then I'm curious. I'm like, oh, wait, you're trying to help me meet my needs? Wow. Okay. I'm, I'm actually curious now. I want to hear more versus the kind of defensive, I don't want to hear anything. I'm putting my fingers in my ear that we do when people are judging and blaming us. You have talked about implicit bias. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about that and how it happens? Mm -hmm. Well, the shortcut is that human brains are like these phenomenal, phenomenal organs. And so I think the statistic is we're taking in something like 11 million pieces of information in any second, and we're only consciously aware of 40 of them, 40 bits out of 11 million. That means we're making decisions on a lot of information that we're not even aware of that we're considering. And so when people tell me, but I'm not racist, I say, well, I think you're consciously not racist, but your brain is still pulling in information and pulling in all of the stereotypes and all of the beliefs that our society holds, and it's still including that in the decisions you're making it without your consent. And so implicit bias is really about the shortcuts that our brain takes without us even being aware of in order to be efficient, in order to process that 11 million bits of information that I, if I had to stop and think of 11 million bits, I would never make a decision. So our brain does it for us in the background, and it sometimes includes bits that we wouldn't want it to include. That is really fascinating, and in a way, it's a it's a disadvantage to a lot of us because we we don't know what's happening, we can't control it, yet in some ways maybe for safety reasons it's helpful or maybe it was at some point. So how can we become more aware 
of our implicit bias? And then what do we do about it? Well, I mean, one really quick thing that leaders can do is just go to the Harvard implicit, um, the Harvard implicit, oh, now my brain just died on the test. <laughs> the Harvard implicit, if you just search Harvard implicit test, you'll find it. There's a test you can take, implicit association test, that's it. And it's just a test online that anybody can take. It's free and it has a gazillion categories. So you can check and see, do I have implicit bias for gender, for sexuality, for body size, for whole bunch of categories and that will help you see like what is my brain actually doing so that's the first piece the second piece and this is a tip that i would say any leader can help their employees really integrate is to slow down the quicker that we make decisions the faster we act the more my brain is going to be snap judging all of those bits of information without my awareness but if i can slow the process down if i can say okay so my brain is saying, follow that person in the store. Why? You know, so don't just have that impulse and go do it. Slow it down and ask yourself, what am I actually noticing? And that helps bring to the surface some of the things about we might be acting upon without our conscious awareness. Oh, and you've brought up such a good point about slowing down because so often in these work environments, it's very fast paced. And leaders are expected to make really fast decisions, immediate decisions. And in some industries and in some lines of work, that's important is to be able to think very quickly. So to slow down and think through something a little bit differently than how you normally do it will be a whole shift in mindset and a whole new habit to develop. There are things that we can do, though, that will help it so that if I'm in a very fast-paced industry, one of the things that I can do is before we get to that phase where we're going to be making decisions and acting, start to think about what are the things we're not paying attention to? What are the things that we're used to not considering so that you're front-loading it in your brain? And then when you start to make those decisions, your brain is integrating those things. So if I don't consider those things ahead of time, I'm not going to consider them in the moment. But I can start to front-load it before I go into that quick decision-making phase. I love that term, front-loading, so that you're actually being more proactive about your decision-making. Very good advice. So when we think about NBC and dealing with difficult conversations in the workplace, dealing with racist conversations or any type of conversations, giving feedback. What are some things that leaders could do right now if they don't have someone like you to bring in to do the training? What can they do right now to start incorporating maybe the NBC model? Sure. So the first thing is to start to develop a culture of empathy. And it sounds, you know, again, a lot of organizations are like, we've got too much to do. We can't sit and empathize with everyone. And I always say that by the time you bring someone like me in, and I'm imagining someone like you too, Monique, it's because things have gone really south. And just think of how much time you would have saved if we could have kind of nipped things in the bud much earlier. So have people have a practice of slowing down and reflecting what are the values here? What's important to us before we make a decision, before we jump to conclusions? If an employee comes to you with a complaint about another person, slow down, get clear on what's actually happening, what's the observation, and why does this matter? Why is it important? And that will help us help leaders start to model for their staff a different way of relating to challenge, that it's not something happens, I'm going to go 
blame and judge, something happens, I'm going to start to understand why is this important to me? Why is it important to the other person? So that's one of the pieces that we can do by modeling. Another thing that we can do, and this is actually kind of fun, we've been talking a lot about challenge, right? But we can also start to build in these skills through celebration. A lot of, um, you mentioned earlier the problem of engagement, people feeling engaged, people feeling valued at work. And one way to deal with that is to have a practice. Uh, I remember at one of the organizations I worked with, we had celebrations at the start of every single meeting. Every meeting, there would be a round of people sharing what was something I want to celebrate about how I did at work or something like this, and why was that important to me? And so we were bringing in the sense of there are lots of positive things that are happening. We're sharing it with each other. And when difficult feedback came, it was landing in this bed of, oh, we've all been celebrating each other. It felt really good. So I know that you see me. I know that you see all the positive things I do. I'm not going to take this one difficult feedback and say this is the only thing you see about me. So the more that we can bring in celebrations and recognizing people at work, the easier it is to give the difficult feedback later on because it's, it's got its own place and it's not the only thing. How can our listeners find out more about you, find out about your books? I know you're headed off to Germany right after this episode. You're doing some more training and book signings. Tell us the best way for them to learn more about you. Sure. To learn about the books, you can go to the books website, antiracistconversations.com. And there you'll find information about the books. You'll also find our new podcast. And so if you want to hear from people who are doing this kind of work um, in a lot of different disciplines, we're interviewing people. My co-author for my second book and I are interviewing people who are making a difference in terms of racism, but in innovative ways. And if you want to find just me, like maybe you're interested in bringing me in to support your organization, you can go to my website, RoxanneManning.com. Wonderful. And I highly recommend the 12-month Compassion course, which I believe can be found on the NBC website, CNBC website. Mm -hmm. Is that the... Right. The CNBC website is a great place to find a lot of courses. Um, you can find NBC courses wherever in the world you are. Okay. And I think that's cnbc.org. Correct. correct. Okay. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Dr. Roxy Manning, thank you so much for being here. And for those of you who've been listening, please check out my website at mdconsultingglobal.com. And there you will find my blog that you can subscribe to that comes out twice a month, my social media. There's a resource page for leaders. And you'll also find the past episodes of this show so that you can listen to all the on-demand episodes. So again, thank you so much for tuning in today. We will talk again next week. And until then, don't forget to lead with intention. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Leading with Intention. Our intention is that you walk away from this show today with new tools, techniques, and insights that help you lead more effectively and have greater impact within your company. Until we talk again, have a great week.